Hello. I got a little bit of an echo tonight. Um, why don't we just start by praying? God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that Jesus is the king, the savior, the Lord of all the earth, the Lord of everything in the earth, the Lord of everything above the earth and below the earth and around the earth and all the things. We thank you, Jesus is king. Uh, Lord God, we just pray that tonight as we think about this passage, Lord, we just pray that your spirit would speak through the word. We pray that each one of us would catch a glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ, the King, the Savior, and the Lord of all. And we just pray, Lord God, that you would enable us to respond to him in the way that each one of us need to do, particular to our own life, to our own circumstance, to the calling that you're giving to each one of us according to the gifts and the talents and everything. We just pray, Lord God, for all of these things. And we pray, Lord God, that we would, we would just praise you and not hold back. Um, and so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So before I start, I just want to say, and I said it the last time I preached, but I still mean it, I love each and every one of you. And sometimes it's always important, I think, to know that when I'm speaking, I want to do it in love, and a sermon should always come from love. Um, and tonight, we're going to be thinking a little bit about Jesus. We're going to be thinking about who he is. We're going to think about who are we and how do we respond to who he is. And today's Palm Sunday, in case you didn't know. There was a donkey earlier. I promise there will be a photo of this donkey later in the sermon. So you're just going to have to hold with me. Uh, but there will be a photo of at least part of this promised donkey from this morning. I promise it's a mostly good photo. Um, no guarantees on the, the level of quality. I wish it could be a little bit better, to be honest. Um, but as we talk about who Jesus is, and as we read in the passage, you know, this is known as Palm Sunday, and it's the day that we as a church, and frankly, churches all over the world, celebrate Jesus coming down the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem to begin the final bit of his earthly ministry, and frankly, the most difficult bit. And as we, we think about this, I want us all to just kind of try to put ourselves into this story. Don't hear it as a story from the outside. Try to put yourself into this story. Because each one of us, in a way, are actually in this story. It wasn't just a story reporting events from way back when. It was a story that was actually written about those events, but written in a way that we all can enter into ourselves today. And as 
we go through this story, I don't know if you caught it, but there were no palm branches mentioned in the reading. Ironically, we call it Palm Sunday, but Luke does not mention any palms. I almost titled this sermon Palm Sunday without palms, but I decided it was not that interesting, and so we'll have to work on a different title. Um, and so what are we going to look at today? Let's start with the obvious bit. Jesus is there at the beginning, and it says after he had said these things, he's traveling onward, going upwards to Jerusalem. This has been all of that his ministry was moving towards. He, for all the chapters before this, basically, he's been telling his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to raise from the dead, and he's been saying this, and he's been telling people, and we'll come back to what he was talking about in a little bit, but he is finally getting to the very beginning. He's finally getting to Jerusalem. And there's all this anticipation. What's going to happen? I mean, if his disciples had been listening, they would know. But uh, they didn't quite get all of it. It was hard. So then he gets there. And he sees that they're getting close to Bethphage and to Bethany. And Bethphage and Bethany are on the sort of east side of the Mount of Olives, uh, which will be important, because Jerusalem is on the west side of the Mount of Olives. So they're at the base of this uh, hill, basically, the Mount of Olives, and there's a road that kind of goes up-ish and over and into Jerusalem, kind of around-ish over. And so there they are, and Jesus just says, I want you to go. Go get me a donkey. And when we're thinking about the kinds of things that a king would come in or into any city with, uh, how many people think they would put the queen on a donkey? Like, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just asking, like, if you had a donkey and the queen came, would you be like, this is the time for the donkey? Definitely not the horse, definitely not the car, definitely not the Porsche, definitely not, you know, the airplane, whatever. No, we are going to go and put Queen Elizabeth II on a donkey. Just put that mental image there in your minds for a second. This beautiful old woman sitting on a donkey, trying to stay on, going up uneven terrain. Maybe not. But for Jesus, the donkey was the perfect, the perfect way into Jerusalem. And actually, the first thing we're going to think about as we look at this text is that Jesus is the king. And I want you to think about for a second that Jesus is more the king than anyone has ever been a king. He's more a monarch than anyone has ever been a monarch. He's a ruler, uh, an emperor even, more than anyone in any prestigious position of power or authority ever has been. And actually, it was easy to miss, but when we read and heard the reading, it was everywhere. Jesus is a completely next level level of king. And we can tell this actually by what he rides in on. So there's a picture that's going to pop up. There we go. This is how the queen for her coronation came to Westminster Abbey. She got out of Buckingham Palace in this. And you can't see it, 
uh, but there are a bunch of very fancy horses, expensive horses, in front of it. On top of all of the horses, and on top of all of the gold, there are all of these foreign dignitaries. And during her coronation, they had everybody, all kinds of people from all over the world, all people from the Commonwealth, people from outside the Commonwealth, and they're all coming, and she's going to get in this gold state coach, and it's not a, just a little gold. It's, a, it's a, a lot of gold. I don't know how much that weighs, but it is a lot of, a lot of gold. And this is how she comes in. And so she's there, and she's in there, and actually, they've had all the military going in in this giant entourage to Westminster Abbey. Armed forces galore, all over the place. There's people cheering. In fact, this was still apparently during when they had a little bit of rationing post-war during her coronation. And so they're like... We will not be upset if people decide that they would like to roast oxen just this once for the queen in, in the coronation. So if you can prove that somebody on your site before has ever roasted an oxen for a royal, you can do it again. And everybody was happy to try and find some history to let them roast an oxen. And they were looking, and all of the people, the fanfare, the BBC, all of this stuff they had been preparing for the queen and her coronation and she is waiting, and they're preparing for months, and months, and months, actually. Over a year, they prepared for the queen, and then she gets in this thing, and there's this huge fanfare, and this huge thing, and, and they've got, in a way, to kind of stoke up the populace to get ready, to be excited for the queen. All of these preparations, they're all a great PR campaign. She gets in this gold thing, and you can see, this is a woman who is in charge. You can see the gold, and you're like, you can see the military, and you can see, wow, she really is the queen. Not anybody gets to go in the gold state coach, and not just anybody has all of the armed forces dancing around behind them. Not just anyone has all these foreign dignitaries coming to them, saying all their great things, and coming just to watch them put a gold ring on your head. That doesn't happen every day. And actually, the way the queen's entourage went in was not really that dissimilar to way, the way kings, queens, princes, royals, conquering generals went into cities back in Jesus' day. Not much has changed. They would go, and when they would conquer a city, sometimes afterwards, they would go in, and the general would come in on this big, fancy horse, and they'd have all of their warriors. And usually, they would have what we sometimes call what Jesus does a triumphal entry. See, but when the Romans would do it, it was a little bit more, um, what's the right word? Well, a little bit more flashy. Uh, there was lots of gold. And actually, the first thing is they would have all the people that they conquered and now enslaved go forward, and they would have the people from the place that they had conquered, and then the princes from the place that they had conquered, and the kings. And then after that, they would have all the stuff that they took from them. And then they would have the general who brought the victory about. And then they would have all of his warriors who often would not usually even bother wearing 
wearing swords or anything like that. And they'd all, and there would be this huge party and they would throw all kinds of festivals and, and they would do all these preparations. They would prepare very well in advance just like they did for the queen's coronation. And I want you to see the complete radical difference of Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. Humanly speaking, there was not a lot of preparation. Jesus told two people, two of his disciples, hey, go, get, get a donkey, it's in this town, and uh, bring it back to me. And if somebody says anything to you, you just tell them this thing, and that'll be fine. And so, that's what happens, they go, in fact, the the passage doesn't even specify which of the two cities it is because the city isn't really important. It doesn't tell us which disciples were sent to go get the donkey because the disciples are not really that important. But Jesus gets on a donkey. Nobody knew in advance. Jesus didn't have people going and stoking the crowd saying, this is going to be the year that Jesus comes to Jerusalem. This is going to be the year that we all get together and we have this big thing. This is the year that we all praise and celebrate Jesus' entrance in Jerusalem. None of that. The donkey comes. The, the disciples are like, well, okay, Let's, let's take off our coats and we'll put the coats over the donkey. I mean, he shouldn't ride bareback, right? That just seems a little bit uncomfortable. So let's give him a little bit of cushion. And they sit Jesus on, they basically enthrone Jesus on a donkey, on coats. There's no gold, there's no fanfare, there's no procession of military people, there's not a bunch of opulence and wealth there's not massive media coverage. In fact, nobody even knew that this day was coming. At least that it was going to be that day. But Jesus gets on this donkey and he starts going up. And he's going up. And then people... The people who have followed Jesus, when they see Jesus on the donkey, when they see him going up the hill, they lose, I mean, they just, they realize, it clicks. They're like, this is the moment. We've been waiting for this our entire lives. This is the day. This is the day. Off with the coats. And everybody throws off their outside cloaks and they throw them down on the ground because this, he is a king. This donkey has never been ridden by anyone before. And the reason is that this is the kind of deference that you would pay to a king. Kings don't ride other people's stuff. They don't, they don't ride things that, be, that are beneath their status and their stature. So no one's ridden this donkey before. But they see in that moment that Jesus is so much king that not even his donkey deserves to touch the ground. And so they take off their coats and they're throwing them on the ground and they're throwing them and they're throwing them as they're going up this mountainish kind of hill thing and it's a, it's got a great view um, at least from what I could tell on Google Earth. Um, 
It's got a great view into, into Jerusalem. Google Maps, very helpful. You can kind of look down. It's a high elevation, and the people are throwing. And then as Jesus is getting towards the base of the mountain, the people, they all break out, and they just start shouting, and they all realize, this is the king. He's so much king, and they never needed anyone to prepare them. They just saw it, and they knew. He's a king. There's never going to be a king like him. There's never a king who's so much king. He doesn't need gold to announce to everybody that he's king. He doesn't need a military entourage. He doesn't need foreign dignitaries. Jesus was so much king that in this moment, if you saw him, And you wouldn't just know and think, well, there goes a nice king-like person. You would know in that deep kind of way where you take off your coat and you throw it out on the ground and you don't think, I wonder if the donkey poops on my coat. You don't even think it. You don't even think it. You just throw the coat on the ground because Jesus is king above all kings. He's the king of kings. And actually, when you see Jesus going up and coming down and all the people breaking out in praise and in celebration and throwing out the coats and coming on this donkey, it kind of actually makes us see how insecure all of the monarchs in this world really are. It helps us to see that they are only a shadow pointing us towards the truest king the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. See, they have to flaunt their opulence. They have to flaunt their power. They have to flaunt their gold and their silver and the expansiveness of their kingdom. Jesus doesn't. Jesus got on a donkey and rode up a hill and rode back down. I don't know about you, but I've never seen any leader in this world that made me think I need to throw my coat on the ground and let the donkey maybe poop on it. I've never thought that. And I I mean, I like Queen Victoria and everything, but Elizabeth, (laughs) thank you. May she live a long time. I do love Queen Elizabeth, and we do hope that she lives forever, but... This queen, as victorious and as powerful as she is, and they all have this really long set of titles, all of the queens and kings in this country, in every country. And I've never looked and seen and thought, you know what? This person inspires me and makes me think this this person is, is more in a way that I can't even imagine. I can see that they are an important person. I can see that the world and the society values them. But I can't see something that is so uniquely true about them that the arbitrariness of their position is not also clear. See, the difference is that Queen Elizabeth and Queen Victoria... King George and all the other kings, 
All of them could have not been king. They could have not been queen. In fact, the queen herself is only queen because her father's brother abdicated. The social arbitrariness of their royal prestige is obvious. Jesus is the only king who had to be king. There was no replacement. There was nothing arbitrary about his kingship. His kingship is the kingship that makes all other regality make sense. When we see Queen Elizabeth, we see a picture of the kind of king that Jesus is. But amped all the way up amped up beyond human comprehension, amped up so high that he doesn't need all of the things that that people in power use to condition us to think of them as better than ourselves. That's the thing that's so dramatic about Jesus coming in on a donkey. He's humble. He doesn't have to front. He knows who he is. He knows he's the king. He doesn't have to force everybody to make them see that he's king. He doesn't have to lord himself above all of the other people and say, look at my wonderful position over all of you lovely peasants. He gets on a donkey. He didn't even have a saddle. He just has a couple friends' coats. He's not like any human leader, any king, any queen that has ever lived or ever will live. He's a king that's so much king that when you see him, when you meet him, you don't question, you just bow. Or in this case, you praise. Um, As they came down and they got to the base of the hill, everybody lets out this humongous shout and they're shouting and they're praising and and everything is going just completely wild. And what are they saying? They are saying, Blessed is he who comes. And this is a quote. I don't know if you know that, but they're quoting. They are quoting from Psalm 118. And in that quote, it's, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. But when Luke writes this, he breaks out, and he can't contain himself, and he throws in something that was being exploding out of the hearts of the people who were there. And he says, The king! The one who's coming! The king! In the name of the Lord! And everybody sees it, because you know what? There was some preparation. There was some preparation. See, God, before all time and space, has been preparing the entire world for this moment at the base of this hill. All of creation exists for this moment. And as they are coming, these people are hearing and they're remembering. When they saw the donkey, they remembered a prophecy, a prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus. A prophecy from Zechariah. And Zechariah said, Rejoice, 
O daughter Zion, shout in triumph, O daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous, and so he is victorious. He is humble, and so he is riding on a donkey. Indeed, on a coat, on the son of a female donkey. And everybody saw it. When they saw Jesus at the top of that hill and the sun catching a gleam, even from a distance, they saw a man on a donkey and they knew he was not just a man, he was the king of kings and not just the king of kings, he was the savior that God had promised. And so when they see the king of kings, the savior that God had promised, the Messiah, the Mashiach on that hill, they lose it. They can't hold it in anymore. The coats are not enough. The coats are not enough. They've got to shout. They've got to praise. And they, they just go completely wild. They're shouting, the king, the king, the one who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed. And then he's, they say something that actually the other gospel writers don't include. When Luke talks about and tells this story, he actually adds this bit where they say, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And it's interesting because this is the response to what the angel said when Jesus was announced. Back in Bethlehem and the shepherds watching their, fleet, their sheep by night, right? You know that? And then the angels come and they say, what do they say? They say, glory in the highest, but they say, peace on earth. And they say, glory in the highest to God and peace on earth among human beings of goodwill. But here they say, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But they don't say to who gets the glory. Obviously, it's God. But there's a little bit of, of ambiguity because God's not just in heaven. He's right there in front of them. And they can see that Jesus is the Savior, and I learned this about donkeys, and I didn't know this before. Um, every donkey has a cross on its back. See, can you see the cross? It's not the easiest thing to see because this donkey is, has a winter coat, but can you see the darker line from the mane and then across the shoulders? Can you see it? Every donkey, except apparently some very specific breed in Ethiopia, but every other donkey in all of the world has, has a cross on their back. Aside from a very, very specific breed in Ethiopia that we can be pretty reasonably sure Jesus was not riding, Every donkey has a cross on their back. And I want you to think about how amazing this is. Because when the prophecy in Zechariah that the Messiah would come riding in on a donkey was given, Romans didn't exist, and they weren't hanging people on crosses. But God knew there was a day 
that his son, the king of kings, would come, the savior, the Messiah, that, they, that the whole world was waiting for, longing for, and it, that day was coming, and do you know what? He marked it on the animal that Jesus would be riding, and he marked it before the thing that they would use to kill him even existed. Because God wanted to leave a sign for you and I today that this is the king. This is the savior. This is Jesus. He is the fulfillment of this prophecy. And so Jesus, as he's coming into Jerusalem to be rejected, to be crucified, on a cross, he comes in riding that cross. It was never far from Jesus' mind. And that's why it had to be a donkey. It wasn't just that he was humble, but that he was humble enough to die on a cross. And so in this moment, people can see. And why are they praising? It's not just that they see him or coming down the hill, riding on the donkey, fulfilling all of the prophecies, but they're seeing that in conjunction with the fact that he has done miracles. And that's what it says there. It says right in that verse, they're coming in uh, verse 37, as he's drawing near already at the base of the Mount of Olives, absolutely all the multitude of disciples, they were rejoicing, and they began to praise God with a loud voice about all the miracles that they have seen. Because Jesus was already saving people. He was already king over life and death, sickness and health, angels and demons. He was already king in the highest heavens. But a king who was living on earth. And he was the fulfillment of all of their hopes and dreams. And it was not just that he was king and that he was Messiah, but that he was the Lord. And it would be easy to miss this if we were reading in, in most of our translations because he says, look, when you go to get the donkey... There's this, if somebody asks you, what are you doing with the donkey? Why are you untying the donkey? Which I think, to be honest, if I saw somebody stealing my car, I'd be like, excuse you. Um, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> why, are you, why are you breaking into my car? Can we just have an explanation, please? Jesus says, all you need to say is, because the Lord needs it. And that's the easy part to see. What's not so easy to see is that when Luke is telling the story, the word he uses for the owners is the word for lords. And so in Greek he says, the lords of the donkey ask these disciples, why are you untying this donkey? And the disciples' answer is, because the Lord needs it. We only worship one Lord. There is only one Lord. As many lords as there might be in this world, there is only one who is true. There is only one who is the Lord, the God of all the earth. And you know what's amazing about this? As we come to a close, 
What's amazing about this is that when these two disciples say, because the Lord needs it, the lords of the donkey don't question. They don't ask. They don't put up a fuss. In fact, they don't even say anything back. They're just like, Because the next thing that we see is, and they brought it to Jesus. And they mounted Jesus on it. That's amazing. He is the Lord of Lords. This is who Jesus is. He is the King, He is the Savior, and He is the Lord. And that brings us to a question for ourselves what are we going to do in response? And this is a really important question because this passage is actually the sort of historical realization of the parable of the ten minas, which immediately precedes it. You should go read it later. It's a great, great parable. And Jesus is here, and he is coming in, and all of these people are around him and they're praising him. And I just want us to look back through the story and put ourselves into the different spaces in this story in relation to Jesus. Like we can start at the beginning and I can just, let's just ask ourselves, will we go if Jesus sends us? Jesus just picked two random disciples and he said, go, and they went. Will we honor Christ as King, Savior, and Lord and go wherever, whenever he sends us. The next bit that we see is that they go even though they're told to do something, let's say a little bit uh, unorthodox, crazy, uh, at risk of getting put in prison. And it was a much harsher time. Theft was not well received in any part of history, but they were more, much more severe with how they dealt with it in the past. They don't object. They're willing to put their own lives at risk because Jesus is king. And they don't just go when they're sent. They're going when they're sent, and it's risky. And my next question is, what is the donkey in your life? Not who is the donkey in your life. Some of you were like, I have got some donkeys in my life. No, 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 no. <laughs> the question is not who is the donkey in your life. The question is what is the donkey in your life. And what I mean by that is those owners of the donkey thought they owned the donkey. But as soon as they heard the Lord needs it, they gave it up. So what in each one of our lives do we think we own? There's a lot of things that we can think we own about our lives. Sometimes we think our money is what we own, our, our property, our wealth. Sometimes what we think we own is our social status. Sometimes what we think we own is our career and, and driving towards that career goal that we have and getting the promotion or having this kind of job or not that kind of job. Sometimes the thing that we think we own is our time. Sometimes what we think we own is our family and our friends, our children. Sometimes what we think we own is our romance and, and the romantic part of our life. 
Sometimes we think we own our sex lives. Sometimes we think we own our talents and our gifts and our capabilities. And I just want us all to ask, if the Lord comes to you tonight and says, I have need of this, will you give it with joy? Will you say it's yours? You can have my career. You can have my wealth. You can have my family. You can have my time. You can have my talents, Lord. They're all yours. No objections here. Do it. I don't need an explanation. They didn't get one. They just got the Lord needs it. And so this is the question for us today. What is that donkey in our life? Somebody in the, in the prayer before said that God wants to give people in our congregation pastoral gifts, counseling gifts. And I want us to think about what gifts has God given this church in this room. There are so many gifts. I can't even imagine how many gifts there are in this room. The whole, not just natural talents, but the things that the Holy Spirit has given to each and every one of us who call on Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and they're everywhere. Are you using them? Am I using them? Are we using our gifts to the glory of the King? And how can we help one another discover our gifts and put them to use? The last thing that I think we should also put ourselves in the position of is we should ask, will we object to Jesus' praise? There were people there at the base of the mountain when Jesus got close to Jerusalem who were like, no, no. Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Tell them all to stop. This is bad. And I think there's a couple different ways that we could do this. I think if, if we're a Christian and we're here today, one of the ways that we could do it is we could say, I'm not in the mood for praising Jesus today. My life sucks. Everything is bad. I do not want to sing happy, clappy songs. I don't want any of that. I've got too much pain in my life. And you know what? Sometimes the best kind of praise that you can give Jesus is your pain. And you can say, the praise I give you is trusting you with this pain, and I give it to you. And that is a form of praise. But there's another way, and that is, you might be here tonight, you might not, you might not be a Christian. You might be thinking, you know what? You've had plenty of time telling me all about this King Jesus and everything, but the people back then, they were just, they weren't as advanced as us today. Not as clever, not as sophisticated. But I want you just to imagine for a moment that they were not that they actually were just like us today, that there's nothing different about them. The 2,000 years has not changed humanity, that actually they were just as skeptical, they were just as used to having charlatans all throughout their society, they were used to deception, they were used to people wanting power. They were used to people coming with all kinds of messages 
They were not that different, actually. So if, they, if you can imagine yourself like them, and if you can imagine that they are like you, imagine how amazing those miracles that Jesus was doing were, and how amazing that moment of Jesus coming down that mountain was, that there were people who broke into praise. And so the final question for all of us tonight is will we leave the stones to shout Jesus' praises or will we shout them? That's the question. Because when the people objected, Jesus said, if they stay silent, the stones, the stones will cry out. We have stone floors. Are they crying out? Or are we going to, to get up out of our seats? Are we going to praise with everything that we are, not holding anything back, and just praise, shouting in glorious praise to the Lord Jesus Christ? And this is our opportunity as the band comes back and they are going to, to bring us into praise. Let's just pray for a second. Lord, you are worthy of all the praise. You are worthy of all the glory. You are, you are so good, Lord Jesus. You are merciful and mighty. You are gracious and good. You are our king. And Lord God, I just pray that tonight we would not leave the stones to shout your praises, Lord Jesus. I pray that tonight our hearts, our minds, all of our lives would give you praise by, by recognizing that you own everything, all that we are, and giving all of who we are to you, to use as, your, as you see fit. And I pray that as we worship in song and in singing, God, I pray that we would praise with all of our hearts in spirit and in truth, and that we would praise you, Lord Jesus, as the one who comes, the King, in the name of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.